Riding along on a carousel Trying to catch up to you Riding along on a carousel Will I catch up to you Today on the Geek Rex Podcast, it's episode 51, and with this 51st episode, Hannah and I are joined by comic book writer extraordinaire and creator of Love Machines, Josh Trujillo, as we talk about Mad Men Season 7, the first half, and we talk about the season as a whole, some of the character arcs, and where we think it's all going. You can find all of our thoughts and opinions on all things geek at geekrex.com. Follow us on Twitter at geek underscore rex, and like us on Facebook. Enjoy. Okay, so episode 51 of the Geek Rex podcast. Uh, we had episode 50 last night, and I didn't even realize it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we didn't even realize this damn thing. Now we're going to have to wait for 100 to come around. I know. I can't. There, there was no celebration. Maybe 75. We can do like a, a golden thing. But uh, 51 is going to be dedicated to something a little different, which I'm very happy for. Um, we're going to be wrapping up Mad Men. As many of you know, it's sort of the weird stepchild of the articles we write on the site. <laughs> uh, in between superheroes and comics and sci-fi, uh, this show about uh, 60s uh, white man ennui is my favorite show on television. And I certainly think that it uh, is probably up there for Hannah as well. Hannah, who joins us, as well as our very good friend, Josh Trujillo, uh, sir, uh, thank Hello. you so much for joining us. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. I've been reading everything I can get my hands on about Mad Men all week long, so I'm happy to finally have an outlet for it. Yay! This will be good. It'll be good to talk about it. We're going to sort of run through the whole season as it existed thus far. Uh, 7.1, uh, 2, 3, 4, and 5, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, um, until uh, they get to the second half, which, by the way, oh, AMC, you're killing me um, with this... Uh, with uh, the split, and I got to say, that might have been the thing that disappointed me most about this season. I was mad about it, but uh, now I'm kind of happy that we have another year, you know? <laughs> it's not over. Was your issue that the size of the season, or that just the way it's kind of fragmented? I think I had issues with just the fact that it felt like it was sort of unnecessary. Um, I know that we had a natural break point at the seventh episode here. But and thematically, maybe it works. But I also sort of felt like this was based around a business decision more so than a creative decision. Maybe they made lemonade out of it, but I don't know. I just it feels icky to me. I'm certain you're right that AMC knows they have almost nothing left besides The Walking Dead at this point. So they're stretching. But again, I'm okay with it because I don't have to be in denial about the fact that it's ending. You know, I've got another year to, to deal with it. Yeah. They just wrapped filming actually, uh, I think two weeks ago or a week ago on the last episode, or they were about to start it. Something like that. I think they're just starting. I think in July they're finishing. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You, you, you know better than me. Um, so that's, that's something to look forward to. It's nice to have the second half coming up, but, um, I don't know, Josh. I guess you were okay with it. Um, I don't. I don't know if it was just the bad taste in my mouth that season six left for me. 
Because there were um, there were a few episodes in the middle stretch of six where I'm like, oh, okay, like we're really gonna, you know, it just felt like it was stretching on and kind of meandering a bit. Um, whereas this is like tapas style Mad Men. Like if you like Joan, you get like maybe like 30 minutes of Joan stuff out of the seven episodes. But the same could be true for like every character except for Don. Like everyone just gets a little bit of glimmer um, and then you want more, which I guess is better than where I was at the end of six, where I was like ready to throw Megan off the canyon myself. <laughs> Actually, I agree with Josh. This is a show that benefits from less. Less is more. I think there were very few draggy points in the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, every episode had an eventful moment and maybe that's because the end game is in place here now. Yeah. Um, and I felt like th- this was probably the moment that Matt Weiner was waiting to get to. So he could, you know, put all the parallels to the first season in place and sort of get Don to wherever that end point is he wants to get to. Mm -hmm. So I could see why somebody would definitely appreciate the uh, immediacy of it. Um, I say that as somebody that actually likes season six a good deal, short Mm -hmm. of one or two episodes, Um, though they might be the same episodes you don't like, Josh. I'm not sure. Um, I think it paid. I think six paid off well. Um, but I don't necessarily like the journey it took to get us to that point. Sure. Um, I don't know. It was, it was a lot of hard, it was a lot of hard watching to get Don Draper to the Hershey breakdown. Well, you know, luckily this season we didn't have any whorehouse scenes. So, (laughs) (laughs) which to me was maybe some of the worst stuff I've ever seen on the show. And that certainly contributed to sluggishness. Well, and like him and Sally were one of the worst parts last season. And this season, that was some of the best moments we had was him and his interaction with Sally. Yeah. Yeah. I would. They, they got so lucky with Sally. I'm sure everyone says this every day, but it's it's so amazing that you can find, you know, like she was just a little girl that said one line. Yeah. And now she's like a fully developed character, more so than even Joan at this point. Yeah, they definitely did better with her than they did with Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby number eight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I actually, uh, Bobby's not the best actor in the world, um, but he is also a little kid. Um, well, and in which one even at this point? You know, there's been a lot of. Oh, yeah. I, I, I liked the Bobby from Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I, that, that's my favorite Bobby, I think. But I can't even remember who some of the others are. So <laughs> whatever that actor is, lead actor from Moonrise, though, that's that's my Bobby. Um, and <laughs> if somebody can have such a thing, it's like your doctor. <laughs> yeah. It's your Bobby. It's my Bobby. Bobby Ford. It's my Bobby. <laughs> I, I was watching the um, pilot, and I couldn't believe, or maybe it was the second episode of the first season, and she actually referred to him as Robert, which uh, we that is weird. <laughs> I was like, wait, did they have a different kid? <laughs> I forgot that Robert and Bobby were uh, tied together. Anyway, so um, in terms of our overall arcs that we're looking at, obviously the lead arc here is Don's. And I think everything kind of, I hate to say it for better or worse, bows to the altar of Don Draper this season um, because there's an end game that needs to be put into place. So uh, it seems like we're in some agreement that this is a pretty good season, generally a satisfying one thus far. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would we say that 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 centering on Don was a big part of that? And do we think that Don's arc uh, was satisfying uh, where it was going? Josh? Well, the thing about this season was like, I feel like the entire season people were waiting for Don to make his big move. 
You know, like I remember every week after the episode, like on, on Twitter or in, in, in comment sections, everyone's just like, oh man, I can't wait to see like Don make his power play. Cause we're all waiting for him to do this triumphant thing. And then we finally get to it in seven where the, really the, the, his big play was letting Peggy run the show. And then I guess maybe he like convinced Ted to stay, but who the hell knows what's going on with Ted right now. So really he just let his team do it. He's acting more like, I guess, a leader as Bert would put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree that the reason this was satisfying wasn't specifically because it revolved around Don for me, because it's always revolved around Don. It's just the fact that he was doing something else for once, you know, every season we've seen him go through the same cycle where he's this creative genius, but he has another affair and he's unhappy in his marriage and he's drinking too much and he's losing control of his life. And I feel like he just keeps going in circles every season with the same different set of people, same problem every time. And that was, kind of wearing on me by seasons five and six. So for once he's in a cycle of something else, things aren't good for him, but he is actively seeking a change for the first time in a long time. Yeah. So, so your, your argument is that Don finally is moving forward out of his, whatever the cycle is that he's been sort of perpetually in about exactly. alcoholism and womanizing and um, <laughs> what have you. Yeah, because before I feel like the other characters are where we had to find our good moments because the stuff with Don was just so frustrating. Um, whereas in this season, it was the opposite. Some of the other characters actually frustrated me more. I felt like they were more stunted. And Don was one of the only people actually moving forward or trying. Yeah, you know, that, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, particularly from the first episode on, um, the, the line that really struck me was when Don was talking with, I think, Megan's agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was like, you know, I want you to know that do you want you, I want you to know the man your wife spends so much time with, et cetera. And Don says, well, I'm completely at ease looking as uncomfortable as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a guy that like, that clearly was very troubled and he's rudderless without a career to define him. Mm-hmm. So he had no definition at all other than uh, having Don relay his calls and take his messages and having Freddie Rumson as his one sort of colleague mm-hmm. to come in and take his ideas into Sterling Cooper and partners. So, I, I I was I really appreciated that sort of character evolution. It was the first time we saw weakness in yeah. Don. Um, well, we've seen weakness, but he doesn't acknowledge the weakness. Right, right. Now this is Don knowing that he has nothing to you know out- outwardly to show anymore. Mm-hmm. Anytime Don was Don the assistant were to come over to his house, it's like he's putting on an act. Mm-hmm. Like I am Don Draper, businessman now. Mm-hmm. Versus I uh, when he, as soon as she leaves, he loosens up the tie, turns on TV, and just starts drinking or mm-hmm. eating Ritz crackers or whatever it is he does. The thing though is that Don. I mean, he, he keeps going through these cycles, but. I don't know if this is necessarily a turning point. Like, I, I guess it's supposed to feel like a turning point. Um, but in reality, like, you know, the work has always been kind of a driver of his problems and his frustrations as much as anything else. It's been a distraction from his personal life. It does all, it ruined his marriage or I guess both of them kind of. Um, and so now he's stuck at McCann for five years. I mean, what is he going to do, but self-destruct? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I still saw victory in the ending for him, if nothing else, because I think he is really bad at doing the stuff that has to do with being a partner. You know, 
he's bad at dealing with the clients directly, you know, for high level decisions like that. I think he's, what he's good at is writing copy. And so even though it's a demotion, it, it at least is something that he can have ambition for. It seems like he just didn't have any ambition for a long time. I just don't know. I, I, the pessimist in me feels like Josh is right that as soon as he gets back into a position of power, he's going to resume his old mistakes. The only thing that's different is for me is that I feel like Don is now in a different era. And the, what's weird about Don is that he's this guy who, despite all the changes that occur around him, he is always wearing the same kind of suits, dresses the same. His hair never really changes. He just gets older while looking sort of the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just this classic late 50s, early 60s kind of style that he carries, whereas everyone else is getting sideburns, bad mustaches, um, you know, wearing frilly shirts, whatever. Um, and now we're moving into a much more cynical time period. And I just wonder if maybe he realizes his his efforts, the way he does things just won't work anymore. There was a point in the, I think it was the first episode or maybe the second one where he's marking his bottle of alcohol with a marker. Yeah, rationing so it. He's rationing it. And that really, that scene, I still remember it because it really hit home this point of like, he's marooned, you know, like he was on an island. It felt like he was completely alone. And oh, that's I think good. I, I wish I'd stolen that, by the sorry. way. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that's what they're going for, but that's how I read it is like, it felt like he was just, he was completely lost on this Island. And by the end of the episode, he'd finally kind of crawled out and, you know, made a relationship again with other people. And so I think maybe, you know, things at work may not be as good. Things with his personal life may not be great, but he's finally connecting with people and he's not alone anymore. And so I think that's where the change comes in. I mean, I think the show with this batch of episodes is trying to move past the workplace intrigue of it because the whole season has been about all these characters moving up, everyone from like Don Draper to Don the Secretary to Meredith to Bert is moving up or moving on right. in some way. And so I guess they're trying to get the pieces in place where they can really solidify these relationships and put like a, like a, a final cap on it, at least with Don and Peggy and presumably Pete, although who knows, uh, he really kind of got sidelined this season uh, more than I thought. Right. I know. I, I, I agree with that. And um, I would like to talk about Pete in a second. But yeah. I, I did want to ask one more question about Don that I think is worth noting. Um, in the episode where he happens to have a very interesting conversation with Nev Campbell's character on an airplane, um, which, by the way, I, I loved all of the awesome 90s castings that mm -hmm. occurred this season. Uh, many unexpected appearances from people that I haven't seen since I was a very young child. Um, I, so she basically put herself on offer for him. Mm -hmm. And this is not the first time that, you know, that this has happened. Obviously, he's had many affairs with while he was with Megan, while he was with Betty. Mm -hmm. uh, he turns her down. Uh, he says, well, I have to get to work. And that just shuts that down in an amazing scene, by the way. She literally just shuffles right off the screen yeah. <laughs> uh, as soon as he says that, which I thought was beautifully framed. But what does that mean? I mean, because he admits he's a terrible husband. He knows it's not going to work because he says, I thought I could make it work this time. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't. So he knows it's ending, but he still doesn't have an affair with this woman. So... What, what what is that? I, I'm just curious. What 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 is the evolution there for Don at that point, personally, beyond just the workplace stuff? 
Well, that's not even the only time he's turned down a woman this season. We had Meredith in the finale. Right. Which is more for comedy than anything. Yeah. But then in, I don't know, episode five or six, he had that meeting with the other agency where he had that woman uh, basically proposition him. Whether or not she was a prostitute, I guess, is up for debate. But Dawn's been turning away women all season. Um, what does that mean? I would assume it's because he hates Megan so much. But... <laughs> Oh, uh, that, that, that's projecting there, sir. <laughs> it might, it might be projecting a little bit, but I, I think he's, I think he just sees it as a futile, as a futile way to go. He sees Roger self-destructing and doing orgies with teenagers. And he, he sees everyone else he's working with having an affair. And I guess he's already been down that road. He's trying to do something else. I don't know if that means another romance for him. I feel like his, his real love is, his work or Sally, if anything. I almost wonder too, if he's not just depressed, you know, I mean, it's just not even interesting to him at this point. He's that far gone. He's getting older too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not everyone has a drive like Roger. Um, as you, as you get older, I mean, sometimes those, those interests kind of fade away. Maybe he's, maybe he's maturing as a person. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to sort of put a pin into why that's occurring. Yeah. You know, it could be what happened with Sally because all these things have happened with, you know, the woman that he's been with at the time, whether it was Sally or, or sorry, whether it was Betty or Megan, but maybe the final nail in the coffin was the way that his daughter looked at him when she figured out what was happening. Maybe. And maybe that was the turning point for him. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, of, of all the scenes that I can't stand, that was a, a turning point in this show. Uh, it was a terrible scene and a bad episode, but I mean, you could which see. Which one? Oh, go ahead. Oh, he was at uh, which, which one? Which scene? When um, Sally catches Don and. Um, Sylvia. Sy- yeah, Sylvia. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I hate that. <laughs> it was but I think that's maybe where the turning point was for him with his indiscretions. That's yeah. where it stopped. And maybe it's because his daughter is the only person whose opinion he genuinely cares about. Maybe. And between that and the, between that and the Hershey breakdown, he wasn't even having sex with Megan. I remember when he was visiting her, he, she was trying to put uh, the pressure on him to get laid and he was refusing her. It wasn't until she orchestrated that awkward threesome uh, that she finally got him to notice her. And by then, he, I guess it was too late. I thought they had sex before that, though. Did they? I can't remember. Um, I thought that when he flew in because he was worried about her. Oh, yeah. That, that very forced sex scene almost. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It was, oh, yeah. She'd be convinced into it. Yeah, she wasn't into it, remember? They took turns not being into each other. <laughs> Um, so the funny thing about Don is I I find that the episodes I like the best are the ones where Don comes out on top. And I, you know, I don't know if that's, if that's just because I happened to, he's our hero and -hmm. I happen to like Don or what that says about me. But anytime he, he, he comes out in the bottom, I'm very sad and I'm down, but anytime he wins, I'm like, yes, Don, he's, uh, you know, he's back, he's back on top of his game and he's kind of a horrible human being too. So the rooting for him seems weird, right? I don't don't know. I mean, when we watched the first season, he's a worse person there for sure. You know, like he's, he's spying on his wife's therapy sessions (laughs) And he just like, he has no respect for anybody. 
And so when we watch those, you're right. I feel like, well, he really is such an asshole. But when we watch the later seasons, you don't know, like you see how he became who he is and why he's broken and how he's trying to change and failing at it. And he becomes very relatable, I think. I mean, we see him swim. We see his personal relationships. We meet his fake wife. I mean, we get to know Don over the course of the series. Um, but do you feel like he won in this episode? It doesn't feel like a victory to me, even with the song and dance number at the end. I don't know. I don't know if to make it as a, a win or not, because he's been chased by McCann Erickson for throughout the series, actually. Um, when they, I mean, do, do y'all remember when, um, they wanted to have Betty come and model mm-hmm. and, uh, Oh, that's right. It was the same guy. Yeah, it is. It's a J- Jim Hobart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he, he was, he, he compared Betty to, um, um, Grace Kelly, Grace Kelly. Yeah. And then they realized, no, we want more of a, you know, brunette type, whatever actress they used as a, maybe Jack, Jacqueline Kennedy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was at, it was after Don then cause Don turned them down and then they, they pushed Betty aside. They were after Don technically then again, when they bought the British agency that owned Sterling Cooper. That's right. Yeah. And, and then they come after Don again this season and it's funny because obviously they bought the entire firm, but they want Don specifically. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, he was literally going for him at lunch when he thought uh, he wasn't, he was no longer a part of Sterling Cooper. So, I, you know, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. Is this like the Venus flytrap? I think it's, I personally think it's a huge win for Don because this is the first time he's done something that wasn't for himself. You know, when, when he was talking to Roger about, the the purchase he was protesting and Roger said, look, like, it's not just you. They're going to cut all of us out. We're all going to eventually lose our jobs. This is the path this agency is headed down. And that's when Don changes his mind. So to me, he not only, he gave up the pitch for Peggy and he kind of fell on his sword for her so she could do that. And now he's doing that again with the agency. This is the first time he's allowing himself to be purchased or owned or controlled by somebody else voluntarily for the people that he cares about. But everyone else is going to get owned too is the problem. Yeah, and I wonder how that's going to spell it out. I mean, Cutler is one problem, but there's going to be an entire agency or boardroom filled with people just like him. True. I mean, I, I mean, for Roger, that's certainly the case for everybody else. Like Peggy, they're already owned. You know, it's just a different master. Yeah. So I mean, those those guys at McCann Erickson, they didn't become millionaires by being nice, I have yeah. to imagine. And uh, I mean, it's kind of funny to say that because there's probably people that work at McCann Erickson, the real firm, and watch this show <laughs> and think, what the fuck? <laughs> I hope things aren't really like that if it's bad. But Well, and, and they have some money. Yeah. They've gone away with, you know, enough to to be kind of set, even in Joan's case, with her poultry 5%. <laughs> Which by, I saw an article that translated her money, her earnings into 2014 dollars. It was like 10 million dollars. Crazy. Uh, it's unbelievable to to think of uh, you know inflation in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean Pete's 10 percent and however much everyone else has. I mean they're set. Whew, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have to work another day in your life, really. No. Nope. Uh, but they have to still. That's the problem. They have. They all have five-year contracts. <laughs> they're stuck. They have more money than they can spend, and they're stuck doing the same job. Well, and I wonder how. I wonder how that works because with those contracts, typically you can't go work anywhere else. But could you just stop working? Period. Can they really force you to do work at all, or can you just say, "Look, I'm not working for anybody anymore. I retire." 
they're probably going to do what Ted's doing and just sit in front of the TV and drink orange juice all day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, as long as they don't, uh, they, they can't, I mean, because you're, you're selling those shares. They're selling the percentage of ownership in the firm. So it's not like that's irrevocable at all. Right. So I don't know. I mean, what's the impetus to do good work, I wonder? I don't even understand if they would have to continue to work at all. Like I said, it's a non-compete. They can't go anywhere else. They're owned by that agency, but can they just refuse to work entirely or work so badly that they're not wanted anymore? Probably. But their work defines them. For Don, for some of them. Yeah. Oh, I, I wonder. For three of them. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for two other characters that we should probably start talking about. I'm not convinced too, but... that Roger cares about the work so much as just being important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Pete and Peggy for a second, because for me, they're kind of an inseparable pair mm-hmm. in a way. In other ways, they, they've gone very different directions. But I've always sort of seen them as together beyond the child that they uh, had together. Um, Peggy and Pete had interesting arcs this season. Uh, let's start with Peggy first. I will say up until those last few episodes... I don't know about you guys. I was being driven nuts by the way Peggy was treated. And really, maybe women on a whole this season. Um, I don't feel like there was a lot of great scene time, but Peggy especially had trouble. By treated, do you mean by the other characters or by the writers? By the writers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I felt like there there were some real underserved moments for Peggy, especially. Um, Particularly as one of our co-leads. I mean, the pillars of this show are Don, Peggy, Pete, Mm -hmm. um, with everyone else kind of on the side, though you can make an argument for Joan and Roger. Um, But Peggy had just the worst scenes this season up until until her reconciliation with Don. And I, I don't know if it's residuals of that awful relationship with Ted or what it was, but it drove me nuts. Did, I mean, did Josh, did you feel that way at all? I mean, Peggy's always gotten the short stick of it. And I, some of that's because, you know, she's a woman in the 60s, I guess. But some of that is just the writers. Remember when she was like seeing Colin Hanks, the priest, on again, off again, and like she just, and the whole Ted thing seemed a little bit out of character for her. But this season, I, I like that she felt like she was on the outs. I like that she's trying to build something outside of the agency um, and owning her own building. I think that's a pretty cool, empowering thing that I, I would see Peggy doing. Um, how her entire family didn't move into that building with her, I'm not sure, <laughs> given how pushy they are. Um, but Julio is the character find of 2014 slash 1969. I could watch Julio and Peggy for the rest of my life and be happy. Yeah, I thought, especially in that last episode with Peggy and Pete, the way that their arcs kind of paralleled in a really interesting way where they've had this kid who, I don't know, probably would be about that age of Julio, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit younger. And you've got Pete visiting his daughter who doesn't really recognize him, doesn't feel comfortable being near him, doesn't want to see him. And then you've got Peggy in this episode with Julio, who's crying because he doesn't want to leave her. And it's like, they're kind of showing these paths they've gone down with these other children that, you know, they didn't have together, but how they were as parents in those situations. I thought it was a really cool contrast of their two stories. And then the look on Pete's face um, when Peggy talks about her 10 year old at home is, <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's Thanks. actually something I didn't notice till a rewatch actually. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, so many things fly past you when you watch this show. Um, that's, 
I mean, my favorite line this entire season, I think of all the lines we heard was there was a moment where during that God awful uh, flower incident uh, with the secretary mm-hmm. that uh, Peggy, you know, eschews away um, where she tells t- where she tells Ted's secretary, tell him that the account is off. We ruined it. We lost it, whatever she says. And you know, obviously it's just her trying to be coded to tell Ted not to, uh, not, not proposition to proposition her. her anymore. But um, my favorite part is during the meeting at the very end, Ted says, well, I never heard what account Peggy lost. <laughs> He's just completely oblivious <laughs> to it. Yeah. Uh, just little things like that I catch on a second viewing. So I, I in that in that same frame of mind, I agree with you that uh, that that was a scene that I a little bit that I caught of character work that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and we kind of come back to this idea of Ted and Peggy too. I know we said we don't know what the hell's going on with Ted this season, but. Certainly, it looks like by the end of this season, Ted's coming back to New York, and we may be seeing the seeds of a romantic triangle forming between maybe Peggy, this handyman, and Ted. There is no time for this handyman. Yeah. We've had like seven episodes, dudes. (laughs) I agree with you. I I don't know. There's no time for a new character. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about a love triangle going on there. He's definitely going to come up again, because otherwise, what was the point, you know? That was a very deliberate scene, but Ted, I don't, I just, I don't know how I feel about that happening again, Ted and Peggy. Well, the ramifications of it are weird to me too, because I started thinking about it tonight as, you know, she and Don have a very mentor student relationship, almost father daughter mm-hmm. relationship. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know there are Peggy Don shippers out there um, of which I am not one, but no. uh, but, but Ted, in many ways, is sort of like replacement Don, uh, especially when she went to go work for CGC back in season six, beginning of season six, end of season five. Um, what does that mean? Does that mean that, I mean, is there some sort of residual, like, uh, she's angry at both of them at the beginning of the season, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there, are there parallels you can pull there? I never saw their relationship as being the same. Because, I mean, Don plucked her out of this secretarial life and and groomed her and I feel like with Ted it was more of this like admiration he never really like made her skills flourish he hired her for her skills and appreciated them as an equal you know mm-hmm. so I don't I didn't I never saw that as being their relationship like like it was for Don and Peggy well, in the way Ted and Don, their dynamic is very unusual as well because they should be they should be peers, they should be equals because they're both partners, they're both creative directors. But it's clear that Ted looks up to Don for whatever reason, um, and he he's he's buckled under Don's opinions before, uh, just last season. And Peggy doesn't really do that anymore, um, which is why the idea of Ted and Peggy working together under one roof with Don, I don't know how that relationship would work out because there's always going to be another person in the marriage and it's Don Draper. Mm-hmm. Don thinks he's better than Ted, but Don, Don, Don thinks he's equal to Peggy, but Peggy wants to be with someone that's equal or better than Don. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, like she wants, I, I feel like she's looking for that kind of oeuvre, that kind of, uh, that, that classic masculinity, that cool. Uh, um, and, and Ted is just a, a mess. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Ted's in a position to be with anybody right now. You know, like 
He can't get his crap together. Well, he was near suicidal. Exactly. <laughs> and what I don't like is the idea of Peggy saving him from that. You know, like if he can't be strong enough to be on his own out there, I don't think that him coming to New York should fix him. I think it's just going to make things worse for him, if anything, mm-hmm. um, to be in the middle of all that stress again. But it's it's the one thing that that, that I, I, when you saw him saying it, so I'm moving back to New York, you could just yeah. see it in his eyes. He perked up. Uh, I mean, that which is weird yeah. because he had refused to do it um, yeah. for, earlier. He said, I'm not going anywhere, Jim. And it's an interesting kind of um, other path that we see because Don has always elected to pursue these romantic relationships with other women. And some of them have been whatever, but some of them have actively destroyed parts of his life or his relationship with his daughter, or, you know, whatever the case is. Whereas Ted actively decides not to pursue this extramarital relationship and it destroys his life just as much, if not worse. Yeah. It's a good point you raise. Um, speaking of people with destroyed lives, Pete, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he, I, the guy's an absolute wreck and it seemed like he was, he loves California. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> It seems like California Pete, which you know sounds like an awesome Barbie doll character, um, was was doing a lot better. He had a tan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, he was still losing his hair, it seems, but um, he had a new new lady, and everything seemed very uh, awesome for him. And he had maybe advanced beyond where he was, living that awful that that suburban lifestyle that he clearly was not comfortable with. Um, he was sort of a California Don. But he still clearly has issues, particularly when it comes to jealousy related to, to his wife. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, coming home, the whole issue with the cake and the beer bottle. I mean, it's that that sort of brought back home how how difficult a time Pete is having. And I got to say, um, I wish we could have gotten a little more Pete personally, um, because of all the characters in, my, in this show, Pete's probably my favorite. I love Pete. Pete, every line he gave this episode was in the top 10 Pete lines. Um, I, I love Pete. I love Trudy. It kills me that we only got a little bit of Allison Brie this season, but I'm hoping she's going to come back for revenge or something. Um, and, and Trudy was definitely on a date that night. No, she was. Regardless but, of what she says. But, but not on a date with that guy, by the way. I don't know. No. <laughs> That's the publisher guy from the first season. Another callback to the yeah. first season. That was the guy that he tried to get to publish uh, his story that he wrote to compete with Ken Cosgrove. He basically oh, told that's right, his the wife one that to Trudy sleep with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was. It, that's literally another callback. Yeah. Which, I mean, this season is just full of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. To beat Cosgrove, of all people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Cosgrove, who has one eye now, and... Uh... <laughs> Josh, did you notice that he was in that last episode for about 10 seconds with a non-speaking role? Because we noticed the second time that we watched it, he has a really weird, strange part where he shows up. A Cosgrove? Yeah. He shows well, I mean, up. He, just, he just shows up at the end when they tell Harry he can't be in the meeting. <laughs> yeah. He, and just, he, he randomly walks up behind yeah. them and he's grinning like an idiot and all the partners are there. And then he, he walks away and he says nothing. And I have no idea why that actor was in that episode to basically stand in the background of a single shot. It was so weird. So let me ask y'all this. Do you think the season served Peggy and Pete well? I mean, our, our dynamic duo uh, or maybe one person better than the other? Um, I think this was a good, I think this was a good Peggy season. I know she, 
had some rough goes that that Valentine's episode with the flowers in particular paints her as a crazy, insane woman. Um, but she's coming around and she's starting to embrace her power. Um, that burger chef speech was, of course, her shining moment of the season and makes up for almost everything else that happened before it. Uh, Pete's a little more problematic because his personal life's kind of in shambles. Um, he's been chasing wealth, I guess, for as long as he's been on the show, and now he has it. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think every character on the show is going to reach some kind of enlightened state. And I don't think Pete is someone that I see maturing or changing or becoming enlightened by the end of this show. I think Pete doesn't really want to change. He adapts to new situations, but I don't think he thinks he's a bad person or that he's wrong. Whereas, you know, Don and Peggy have these moments of kind of falling down and regret and hating themselves for it. But Pete just hates other people. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pete's a little, <laughs> Pete's a little shit. He I is, mean. and he's good at it, and he's hilarious, and I don't think he's going to change it. I don't think I'd want him to. No, 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 no. I mean, he, uh, Pete, uh, Pete is is forever going to be my favorite character for all of his one-liners. I mean, marriage is a racket, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just everything that guy does is just so perfect. It's like he's awful, but you'd want him in your corner if you knew him. Right. You know? And he was in Don's corner the entire season, to his yeah. credit. Even Peggy was... A against Don in many ways. And maybe it's because she felt betrayal at some point. Maybe it's because you know, she was there were some of her feelings for Ted were seeping out onto Don. Maybe she felt like Don was blocking her way to promotion, but she was kind of a cold, you know, biatch to yeah. him at certain points. She was. Whereas Pete was forever on his side, which is so funny because Pete was the guy who tried to out him many years ago to Burt Cooper. Yeah. And who well, he did out him. But I mean, it's he was sort of the nemesis in Don's side for a little while. Yeah. It's funny how these things turn around. It's I guess it's just like family. Sometimes you get along, sometimes you don't. I mean, it's uh, and they are like those three are the closest thing to a family I can think of on this show. Well, and those three, I mean, all of these characters in the earlier season butted heads and they had arguments and disagreement and they were each other's enemies but now the pool has widened and they've got all these other people coming in and new rivals and they're suddenly forming alliances with people that they they used to oppose for that reason you know so on that subject matter lou avery is he not like the best creation ever or what um i mean he to me he's like the bob benson of this season in a very different way like you know how there's always an mvp of the season Mm -hmm. i feel like that guy that played lou avery as weirdly underplayed as that character was i thought he was incredible (laughs) he reminded me of every he was completely spot on yeah Um, god like every boss every bad boss i've ever had is like lou avery (laughs) he was he was Good, because you didn't even love to hate him. You just hated him because he did it so well. It wasn't like he was this, you know, glamorous bad guy. He was just really annoying and suity and corporate. But he wasn't wrong is a lot of the problem. I mean, you could say that, like, his ideas are bland and he's kind of a boring suit. But he was over. I mean, it's a Sterling Cooper's a big agency now. And maybe they need people like that to kind of broaden the appeal of their advertising. Um, for their sponsors or what have you. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he was a very conservative uh, advertiser, that's for sure. A conservative creative mind, uh, to say the least. I got the impression he was kind of a hack, though. Yeah. Like, just just get a line out. Just give it a tag. We're done. We're good. Who cares? You know, not striving for that top 2%, but somewhere in the middle of acceptable. 
you know? I, I guess what, what, what the, the thing I, I would agree with Josh on is that other than not being that great at his job, being very adequate, as Jim Cutler called him, um, he sort of got screwed out of a job. I mean, it, he's got a two-year contract, but he's probably going to be out on his ass here. I, I mean, I, I don't feel bad for him at all. I mean, the way he treated Don, for example, not Don, but Don, yes. his secretary. Um, and he only liked Peggy when he was able to use her against Don, D-O-N. I mean, he was always just pushing people and moving people and very self-involved. I mean, I don't think he had many redeeming qualities other than maybe a kind of old fashioned charm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he definitely was a, uh, a very representative of Nixon's America. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that every time I saw him, I thought to myself, that is sort of the beginnings of the conservative movements uh, <laughs> that would eventually sweep the country. But uh, yeah. And, and in that way, I thought there was a lot of richness to that character. Uh, he played so well off of Stan and Ginsburg uh, and the whole creative staff, especially. Um, I could just watch those three go out. Will, will you be making a much like Julio and Peggy? Will you be making a Scouts Honor uh, installment? That was Josh? awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that Scouts Honor thing is so it, it just it, is so accurate and like seems such a part of that era. Um, there's a cartoonist by Al, by the name of Al Cap who was very conservative and outspoken, and he did Little Abner, and he used to do a bunch of college tours, basically where he'd go to colleges and tell them how how not sinful but how inappropriate they were, and how they acted like a bunch of hooligans, and how they were wrong about Vietnam, and they just boo him and throw things at him. But he'd sell out tickets everywhere he went, um, and that was just kind of a shtick. And so I kind of see uh, Lou kind of emulating Al Cap in a way. Uh, but not doing it with the same kind of uh, philosophy or the same vision. Like he's just doing it because that's what he believes in. Whereas Al Cap was doing it to be like a Bill O'Reilly, to be a pundit, to be a, a conversation piece. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, his lack of talent also kind of showed up on the page. Um, anytime that uh, that cartoon kind of sort of came up, it was just more a joke to everybody else. Yeah. But it, it was at the same time, nice to see that he thought he was creative and he had these little passions and doodles and stuff like that. Even if they were terrible, it just gave him a nice extra layer of dimension. I thought, which was, which was great. Indeed. Speaking of, of that, on the other side of the bad guy aisle was, um, our friend Jim Cutler. Now um, we knew Jim was going to be trying to attempt a coup last season. He sort of made mention of it every time uh, Don and Roger were out of the office. He seemed to want to get uh, Ted to sort of let's make these people our people, and mm-hmm. that's why Bob was sort of roped into the Chevy account and why he uh, was he sort of wanted to sort of scoot out a few of these other guys. And obviously, some of his efforts towards Joan and towards Harry, making Harry, trying to make Harry a partner, bringing the damn computer in. Oh, the computer. <laughs> um, so, so Jim Cutler, um, great villain or greatest villain in Mad Men history? Well, who is he ranking up against? I guess we'll have to, who are the real villains of Mad Men? Right. Is it, is it whiskey? Is it Betty? <laughs> is it, <laughs> I, I would never call Betty a villain. I mean, I, I have, I have, I have issues with January Jones, the actress, but I don't, I don't necessarily call Betty a villain. I think Duck Phillips is a villain. I think um, Jim's a villain. I would say Lee Garner Jr. is a he villain. He was probably the most repulsive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, on, on this show, you're your own worst enemy, though. Yeah. Right? That's the theme of the show, essentially. So, I mean, Don has always been his own biggest obstacle. 
um, more than these guys. But um, I'm, I mean, w- when you talk about uh, Lou being, you know, he's right, actually, I actually would argue that Cutler is the one who's right when he, he does what he does. If you look at it from his perspective, the people he's around, the work that they're doing, he's actually headed in the correct direction um, in this world. You know, he's, he's looking at TV spots, advertising on TV, gathering data with the computer, backing Harry. He's the one who knows where this is going and he actually really does have that vision. So he's awful for it because it opposes everybody that we care about, but he's correct. I think. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, I definitely, I think that the cuddler was wise to put a Lou in charge, uh, in Don's place. Um, and I, I think adequate might be enough, uh, for the way that cuddler kind of has his vision of, the computer and how it's going to change advertising, which he's ultimately vindicated by history, I guess. But um, he was, he was such Cutler was such a good villain this season, but also I feel like he's not over yet. Yeah. You know, like he's not going to just fade into the background. Whereas Lou is probably out of a job. And I, I really love that scene where Cutler started yelling at Lou and he was like, you're a hired hand, you know, just <laughs> like, screw you. You work for me. <laughs> but it- Oh, I love it. Lou. Sorry, Lou like storms out of the office and then he's about to slam the door and then he like looks at Cutler and he like, I don't know, he doesn't slam it as much as he I would know, have. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he was definitely put in his place in the way that he was putting Don in his. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's funny to see someone always answers to somebody else, yep. um, which I, I appreciated. I, I, I wonder, though, if Jim's going to I don't think Jim's going to fade away. Obviously, he's a character that's going to be around, but he sure demurred very quickly when money came up. Um, as soon as they realized he was going to be outvoted and he was going to make a shit ton of money yeah. uh, selling off his partnerships, he's, he voted right along with them. And he was he, he said, well, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just seemed like his whole scheme just went right out the window as soon as, uh, you know, however many millions he was going to ascertain. It, it depends. They could keep using him or the bigger guys at the bigger agency are going to become the bad guys. I'm pretty sure Jim Hobart is going to become your bad guy for the rest of the seven episodes. I could be r- dead it's- wrong. Is he the Emperor Palpatine of this Mad Men saga? Has it all been building towards Hobart and McCann? I, he's kind of been this this thing in the background for some time. But you know what's interesting is that he's always pursued Don because he appreciates what Don does. So, I mean, in this, in this other agency where Cutler wants to get rid of Don, doesn't care at all about his skills, I mean, this guy has hunted him and wants him as part of his team. So... I know we're all set up for him to be the bad guy and he probably will be, but there's obviously something about Don's work that he values and recognizes and wants. Well, Don's always been such an enigma to him. He's Don's never been won over, at least from McCann by, by money or, or by trying to cozy up to his wife or trying to buy out people under Don. None of these things have really worked. And McCann still doesn't, I mean, as far as we know, doesn't know the true Dick Whitman, and I feel like that might come into play as well, um, since a large corporation like that will want to know who's working for them. Yeah, I, I really hope the Dick Whitman stuff doesn't come up. It's like that was such a crutch they leaned on in the first couple seasons. And by now, I feel like no one cares, you know, or no one should care. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like once the divorce happened with uh, Betty, that was sort of the end of it. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's never really played a role again, except in Don's paranoia. Yeah. Um, no one's come after him. Um, you know, the Draper family, the real Draper family has basically, you know, they've what's left of them. I mean, one of them's, one of them's homeless at this point yeah. and pregnant. They're reproducing. They're reproducing. <laughs> they're reproducing. That's true. There, there will be more Drapers, real Drapers uh, at some point. But I, I just I don't know. Um, I feel like it, it can't not come up, though, because it, it, it's such a central point of Don's character. That's true. And I mean, we've got the Vietnam draft coming up, right? He's and too old to be drafted. He's not going to be drafted. But that that idea of being a deserter of war and trying to get away from it, that theme may come up. Yeah. With yeah. The, with is anyone old enough to be drafted? Is any who's of draft age on the Mad Men cast? Uh, Stan. Is it, how I don't know how old is Stan? Probably. Age. I don't know. I, I, I think you you can't be drafted after like what twenty five was that the thing? So maybe Stan's too old. You're more likely to see people the only their children drafted. The only ones I can think of would be Glenn. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> Glenn is sorry, guys. Glenn is going to <laughs> Vietnam. Uh, You're probably right, unfortunately. You, you think Matt Weiner's going gonna, to follow him? Matt Weiner's not going to put his son in the final seven episodes of this show. You're probably right. <laughs> That's going to happen. You think, um, you think Matt Weiner's going to miss a chance to send his son to Vietnam? <laughs> have him go, go out in a blaze of glory. I mean, <laughs> the only, I mean, that kid and this, and you know, this other kid that just got introduced in the last episode, the son of the life goes on. Uh, lady, right. whatever, uh, whatever that kid's name is. I never even caught his name, much like I don't know some of the creative people's names. I don't know this kid's name, but the person that Sally was sort of making um, googly eyes at, that kid is definitely draft age for sure or getting oh, yeah. close. Wasn't there something with Sylvia's son where he was, I thought the draft hadn't happened yet, but I thought he was trying to get out of military duty. Oh, that's right. Because Don was trying to pull a favor to get a letter written or something yeah. that would sway. Was that? That must not have been Vietnam, though, right? No, that was Vietnam. That was. Yeah. So the draft has already happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, I mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't keep happening. I mean, I don't know when the, the draft stopped. You can look up on Wikipedia, and we can uh, figure that out. But the um, it, it's definitely something that remains in the background, because the Vietnam War was kept on until 1973, I think. Um, I think that's when we finally pulled out 72. I don't know. Whatever X-Men first uh, days of future past told me. That's what I know about the Vietnam War at this point. The draft. I'll just watch X-Men for my history. <laughs> <laughs> the draft didn't happen. The lottery happened December 1st, 1969. Okay. So maybe the Sylvia thing, maybe her son was already signed up or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not sure. Uh, well, the, the lottery is going to be interesting then. Yeah, they get to it. Well, the the, the remaining uh, historical uh, historical events are Charles Manson and uh, this uh, the lottery in December one, nineteen sixty nine, as Hannah just mentioned. So those are things that could eventually somehow play a role in the remaining seven episodes that we have the, the looking forward to. Anyway. It looks like the men were between the ages of nineteen and about twenty five or twenty six. I don't know how old Stan is. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously Ginsburg is out because of <laughs> mental yeah. health. Let's talk about that for a second, Cam. Can we? Um, okay, so I, I, th- this would probably fall under my gripes to this season, so I'll just jump ahead a little bit and talk about this. Yeah. That nipple scene was totally a worst thing ever on Mad Men. I mean, it was it was low. It was Sylvia getting caught cheating with Don low. Yeah. And um, you think so? I I did not care for it. Did you feel differently? Um, 
I I feel like I've been waiting for Ginsburg to go full crazy the entire series run, and he did it. I mean, I, I kind of figured it was going to be something to that effect. Um, the, the nipple itself was disgusting. Um, <laughs> and I love that only at Ginsburg's craziness, craziest is he willing to pursue a relationship with Peggy. <laughs> you know, like only when he's like completely out of his mind is he like, okay, we should kiss. Yeah, I, 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 I don't mind the idea of him going nuts because they've kind of hinted at that before. But I thought the way that they did it was super sensationalist. It was clearly meant to get a rise out of viewers more than anything else. And um, it's kind of a shame because that episode was one of the most memorable ones for me of this season. The monolith and all the nods to 2001. It was such a cool episode and like their fear of the computer but that kind of botched it for me a little bit, personally. Well, those are two separate episodes. Um, oh, am I confusing them? Yeah, the I thought that happened in the monolith. No, 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 no. It happened after the monolith episode. The, 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 there were still 2001 allusions um, to where you saw him uh, reading the lips right. of uh, Cutler and Lou yeah. in the computer room. And that was one more 2001 you know, allusion to that film. But the monolith itself was the episode before. Oh, okay. Which took place almost pretty much completely in the office. I mean, there was never really any, I don't think there were any, really any breaks from the office itself at that point, other than, I guess, maybe Roger dealing with um, Marigold. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but uh, Marigold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I thought that was one of the more interesting uh, character evolutions uh, for, <laughs> for Meredith. Um, I mean, at least... She did something. Um, for the longest time, I've had so many troubles with, with oh, Roger's family. Is, is, is Meredith his daughter or is Margaret, Margaret his daughter? Margaret. 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 Wait, yeah, Margaret. Wait, who's Margaret? Is Meredith somebody? Meredith is Don's current secretary. secretary. There we go. On him. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. All right, Margaret. So, yeah, Margaret Marigold. Got it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was actually a scene I did not mind. And I actually thought it built up Roger's character arc very well. Mm -hmm. So um, if my gripe, I'll just give my gripe in my favorite moment. My gripe was the nipple. My favorite moment is Roger's turnaround. Yeah. Uh, Roger is my favorite character on this series outside of Pete. Mm -hmm. And to see Roger finally come out of his LSD orgy haze and into uh, superstardom again and basically kicking ass and taking names by the by our midseason finale, I, I was just so scared a heart attack was going to happen. And we never get that sort of redemption for Roger. But we got it, and it was awesome. It was so totally good. Rare. It was one of my favorite bits. But um, certainly... Uh, you guys let me know what y'all what y'all liked best and what you didn't like. My favorite moment of the whole thing was when Pete and Peggy and Don were sitting in the restaurant at Burger Chef and just talking and, it, you know, that allusion to like they had formed their own family because in that episode you had just seen how all of them had their families fall apart, basically. And I just loved the three of them kind of coming together. Um, my least favorite part was actually... Joan in the finale because Joan is just so much better than that. And suddenly she was just really kind of all about the money and she and Don have had some really genuine touching moments in the past. So I, I didn't like how they just wrote her off as like, I don't care about Don and Oh, now I care about money. And she was super one dimensional in that episode. Josh, I know you had some strong um, feelings about Joan. Sorry. <laughs> it would get, I'd love to hear. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to, I want to take you to task on this, Hannah, okay. and the internet as a whole, because I feel like 
I love Joan. Joan is one of my favorite characters, uh, although she gets saddled with some pretty terrible storylines. Um, I love Joan, and she she's a strong woman. She's fairly independent, but she's not perfect. And I feel like her getting mad at Dawn because it cost her a million dollars is kind of a big deal. Like, I know that, that that's not the beginning or the end of it, but between Dawn's Hershey breakdown, um, everything that happened with Jaguar uh, and the loss of them going public, I feel like Joan is right to be angry at Dawn. I don't think the show did a good enough job of showing that or explaining it until the last possible second. I think if you if you look at just the business decisions, I can agree with that. But I, I think about the moments they've had, you know, when Joan became a partner um, during the Jaguar stuff, Don was the only person who fought for her and said, you can have better than this and I'm going to help you. And he he was the only one who pushed for her not to go down that road. And it's like she doesn't even remember any of that stuff. And it just kind of bothers me, you know, even. Well, if you were if you recall, she kind of took offense to even the implication that she needed to be saved or that this was a decision that was not hers. Um I don't know. I, I, don't, I would disagree some, with that because he shows up at her door and she's already done it at this point, you know, doesn't acknowledge that. But they, they talk and she kind of sees him as like this true gentleman is the sense that I got when he shows up and, and, and tries to stop her from making that decision. But then he tosses it aside. He messes up Jaguar. Yeah. yeah. Which definitely pisses her off. I agree. But I mean, I don't know. They, they've got enough of a history. And, you know, the other episode where they sat in the bar together it just, they go so far back and he's having such a tough time and he's helped her in those situations. I was surprised. I think that given Joan's humble upbringings and the amount of money in play, it's not, an, I, I bought it. But I do see why people are upset because her only lines of this episode were about how much she wanted her money and how much she hated Dawn. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that really just paints her as being two dimensional. Yeah. It was, it was more a writer fault, uh, than, uh, any sort of character fault, which is sort of all the same thing really. But, um, the motivations are believable enough to me. I just wish we had gotten more of it. The one thing that's the saving grace for me with Joan this season, uh, this half season, I have to keep correcting myself. Um, was the scene with Bob Benson and his marriage proposal to her, mm -hmm. which I thought served both her character and his character very well. Yep. The thing about Joan is I think she's, oh, yeah, definitely. she's more self-realized than just about any other character on this show. She knows more about herself than Don does. Yeah. I think she knows what she wants, yeah. which is love uh, and a health, you know, a good family. And, and she wants to be uh, secure. Mm -hmm. And Bob was offering everything but love. Um, and it hurt her, for her to turn away uh, a lifetime of security from a guy who's going to go take her to a mansion uh, because, uh, you know, she doesn't like women. I mean, that was a pretty bold, strong choice for a single mother in the late 1960s. That's true. That that was a good move on mm -hmm. her part and one that wasn't motivated by money and was motivated by feelings. And that's why that one felt real to me, whereas her just complete dismissal of Dawn um, just felt unnatural to me. I guess it just kind of underlined the why money is a concern for her um, and why security and the things she wants are are very important. Mm -hmm. And that's why maybe some of that uh, hostility towards Don came out so harshly, because unlike Bob, she doesn't have loving feelings for Don anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there was a, a way they could have done that that I would have bought. Maybe she's, you know, 
begrudgingly voting against it or something. Just show some amount of conflict over that complete turnaround, you know? I agree with that. Um, I still thought it was a step up over last season where she got Avon, but the show neglected to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you recall when she was doing her accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do. And, and they, but they did make her an account person. She has her own office. It's and true. She... And Cutler was the one who kind of brought her up to the second floor. So another, I guess, reason for her to be loyal to him. But Ugh, I was worried Cutler was going to start sleeping with her. That was, that was my worst <laughs> Not nightmare. Not yet, anyway. Oh, God. Um, I hope I, I keep hoping her and Roger will get it together. Those crazy kids. But I think Roger needs to not be in a relationship. He's doing fine where he's at. Yeah, maybe. I think Roger needs to get back with Mona. That's true. Mona <laughs> is like his greatest ally. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did watch the moon landing together. They don't hate being around one another. And she's always been there. I mean, even when she should have hated him, she was respectful towards him. And yeah, they, they're a good team. You're right. She's also his real life wife, uh, John Slattery's real life wife. So yeah. they have great chemistry. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did I never know that? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I read it on Wikipedia. That's how, that's how I know. But yeah, she was she was married to George Clooney in the, his one previous marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, they got divorced because obviously George wasn't into marriage. And then she married John Slattery. And then she ended up on the show with him, which, uh, you know, who knows how that worked out. But uh, that's it's. They have great chemistry because of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, Josh, your favorite yes. moment on the show and your least favorite moment, sir. My favorite moment for the season was probably Peggy's realization at the beginning of, at the end of episode six, where she's with Dawn. And she says something to the effect of, uh, what, what, what if there was a place that you could eat with your family without distractions? You know, like when she got the whole idea of the Burger Chef page and just seeing... Uh, Elizabeth Moss kind of come to that realization as an actress in character. It was so beautiful and organic and like it really worked with everything that not only Peggy has been looking for, but also Don. Um, and just the idea of these two kind of like really lonely people in an office trying to come up with the perfect vision of what a family is to sell it to America is like, that's exactly what the show is to me. So I liked that. Uh, my least favorite moment is any scene featuring one Megan Draper. Uh, <laughs> she is, she is a, she's been a waste of space all season long. Um, I just, I don't know what to, I don't know what the show has for her. I don't know what the show wanted to do with her. I don't even know. Ever since Don married her, I've just been scratching my head and wondering why Megan, why now? And I, I still don't feel like we've gotten an answer. I honestly feel like they kept her on so long in reaction to the backlash people had against her. It, honestly, it felt like they were like, screw you guys. We're keeping Megan. Like in that first episode of the season where the um, her agent says like, well, he says something about not having to fix her teeth after all or something like that. <laughs> they were basically like trolling the audience. Like she's still here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping that was a graceful series out for Megan at the end of the this last episode, but I'm sure she'll pop up again in some form. Hopefully not murdered. Yeah, I know there might be a news <laughs> a news story about uh, Megan, whatever Megan's actual last name is now since she's not Megan Draper anymore, or I guess she won't be Megan Draper uh, being murdered by Charles Manson's people. Right. Um, I, I hate that we that we consistently do that. Uh, bring up this murder, this this cult around her because I hate the idea of killing off any female characters. I don't think they'll do that. I would hope not. It's such a cheap 
thing. And I, I, here's the thing about Mad Men. The most predictable thing about it is how unpredictable it is. Yeah. Everybody has theories about what Bob Benson's going to be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And no, he's not. I mean, Bob, Bob Benson's a, an enigma of a character, but he's definitely not what any fan thought he was. Don's going to hijack a plane. Exactly. Yeah. And no, it didn't happen. Though when he got on that plane. You were thinking about <laughs> I was it. thinking about it. Um, <laughs> last episode, I was, I was like, uh-oh plane going to Indianapolis. Um, it's like Matt Weiner wants to troll us all. It yeah. feels like, but, uh, yeah. And I, for your favorite moment, uh, Josh, I agree with you. That actually is right up there for me, especially when they start dancing like a oh, father daughter style. So great. Oh my God. <laughs> Melted my heart. He kisses at the top of her head. It was so sweet. That was, that was, that was the moment where I was like, yes, Peggy's finally getting redemption. Now Peggy's finally coming around and we'll, we'll see the Peggy Don relationship that I've missed for so long. Yeah, it was, it was, it was tremendous. Set me free. Let me put a bow on this discussion here and let's just sort of put out some last predictions for what we may see hmm. in the final seven episodes. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Just uh, where do you think things will end? Um, Hannah, ladies first. Oh, I don't want to go All first. right, fine, fine. I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> I, that's so you guys can think about it. How about okay. that? All right. So my prediction is that I think things aren't going to go too well in this five-year contract that they're stuck in. And I think somehow, some way, Don Draper's going to weasel his way out of it. And I think he and Peggy, at least, will go start Olsen and Whitman. Ooh, Whitman. Yeah. Nice. I, th- I think we all want that. Yeah. I think we all want that. I, 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 I'm going for this. think the pick. Do you think that the Don Draper identity might be a way for Don to get out of his contract? That might be it. Yeah, I think that that might be the way to do it as long as he can't get jail time for yeah. the draft dodging. Or the yeah, about that. Or <laughs> He'll move to Puerto Rico and start an advertising firm with Peggy. Ottawa. He's up in Canada. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, Josh, how about you? Do you, you have any thoughts of where you think this might go? Um, something I was thinking about today uh, was Burt Cooper's Song and Dance. Uh because the song is like the moon is for everyone and everyone keeps trying to draw this episode back to the carousel pitch, which I think is fair. The show has been making a lot of allusions to that, the carousel episode, but I, I was thinking about uh, the, the middle seasons where Conrad Hilton was trying to get, uh, get Don to get him the moon basically. And Don kept refusing or couldn't do it. And ultimately uh, Conrad was disappointed and kind of pushed Don away. Um, so I kind of see a parallel between Bert's ghost or Don's hallucination of Bert telling him not to not to reach for the moon and to you know to look around you um, versus what Conrad basically wanted to own it outright. Uh, as for predictions, uh, Betty Francis, first lady of New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, it could happen. It seems like Henry, is uh, his political career continues to grow and grow and grow. He didn't have much to do this season, by the way. What a... Uh, yeah. we been wait, we've been waiting for Henry's political career to take off for like five seasons now. These things take time, you know. It, uh, <laughs> these, <laughs> these political guys, they start off as aides and, uh, you know, experts, and then they suddenly become representatives. I don't even know what he's a representative of. I think he's like a state rep. I'm not even sure. He's yeah. he's an elected official of some kind, but I'm not sure I've ever caught what exactly it was. I looked it up on the Mad Men wiki and nobody has an answer yet. <laughs> but maybe somebody can clear clear it up for me. He has a nice kitchen. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's got a very nice house. Uh, I'm glad he's not renting from Dawn anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in terms of my predictions, I think Pete is the one who will probably find his way out of this situation and do something different and be successful because he's a really, really good salesman. Um, but I think, I think the ending will be less eventful for Don than what we're th- like. I don't think there'll be this huge sudden thing that changes everything because the show is a lot more grounded than that in a lot of ways. And to me, he is going to serve his time. You know, he's finally going to serve his time. This is a sentence. And I think he's going to make some peace with that and serve it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Sure. Like, I could see it. I'm just glad no one predicted suicide. No, he's not going to fall out the window. No. no. <laughs> I'm glad we agree. If anyone's going to kill them, if anyone's going to kill themselves, it will be Ted. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a sad end. No, maybe Harry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just wishful thinking. Right. I think. <laughs> Harry Crane getting the shit end of the stick everywhere he turns. It's hard to feel bad for him. No, no. I mean, at one point in time, yeah. I felt bad for Harry when he was an innocent guy that felt bad about cheating on his wife with a secretary. He's a nice guy at one point. And now he's not. Now he's scum. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I, God bless you, Rich Summer. You're, you're a great actor um, to make me hate you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, let's that 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 is, that is going to wrap up our season first half discussion of season seven of Mad Men. So we'll do it again in one year. In one year. Josh, I, <laughs> one year. Josh, I hope you, I can get you to join us for something else later <laughs> so we don't have to wait a year yeah. to do this again. Um, Anytime. Josh, uh, can you tell us where people can find you on the internet and where they can buy your wonderful creations? Sure. Uh, I, I write comic books. Uh, my series Love Machines was just uh, got on Comixology last week, so you can look it up either by my name, uh, Trujillo, T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O, um, or you can visit my website, joshtrujillo.com. Awesome. And I, I have read it. It is fantastic. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait for issue two. Is that coming in the summer? Um, yeah, it'll debut in print at Comic-Con, and then I'm hoping to have it uh, available on Comixology at the end of June. Are so you going to be we'll at Comic-Con? I will, I will be all over Comic-Con. Oh. I will be exhausted and tired and smelling. We can meet. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take you to dinner. We'll, uh, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have drinks and dinner. It'll be fun. But That will definitely happen. Heck yeah. All right. Well, until then, we will uh, continue to uh, think about the carousel as a time machine <laughs> and the fast food table as a dinner place. Uh, thanks so much, guys. The mood belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you and me. 
flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine.